This Seattle Medium podcast is sponsored by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Is Black Press Month, and as we celebrate the founding of the Black Press in America, Freedom's Journal in 1827, and we also highlight the contributions of Black newspapers across the country. And while we're celebrating the Black Press, we'd be remiss if we didn't have a conversation this morning about the state of the Black Press and, more importantly, its future. With me this morning to talk about the present and future of the Black Press is John Felsan, program director for the Knight LMA Bloom Lab. Good morning, John. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing good, and yourself? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, John, first of all, let's start off by talking a little bit about the Bloom Lab. First of all, uh, let's talk about the significance of the name uh, and the purpose behind this initiative. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, the Bloom Lab is really a, a $3.2 million initiative that has been generously funded by the Knight Foundation, right? And it allows us at Local Media Association, who I work for, to do some transformative work. You know, we work with local black-owned news organizations, some 100 years old, some family-owned for multiple generations, some women-owned uh, and, and led and all pillars in their respective communities. So uh, the $3.2 million initiative, with this funding, we work with 18 publishers, uh, the Seattle Medium, as you know, the Washington Farmer, Afro News, just to name a few out of Baltimore, the Houston Defender, Dallas Weekly, St. Louis American. I think we're in Philadelphia with the with the Philly Tribune, Amsterdam News, and Harlem. And it's really about uh, business consulting, digital transformation, um, and really helping with the sustainability and the advancement of local black-owned news. Because we understand that, you know, local black-owned news organizations are very important entities in their community. They tell the story that mainstream media doesn't always tell or get right, um, and they're trusted sources of information in their community. So it's important for us to do this transformative work um, in the Bloom Lab. Right. Now, uh, you kind of talked a little bit about the uh, different the 18 publication out. Uh, I understand, uh, well, I know this is a three-year initiative. I know you started off with 10 publications, expanded to 18 now, and I believe the goal is to expand to 26 um, here pretty soon. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, we started off with uh, the 10 that you are a part of, Cohort 1, the Seattle Medium. Um, and that started in the spring of 2022. We brought on another eight in, I think it was the fall of 2022. And as a program director, I'm currently putting together the application to release maybe in the next week or two um, to really solicit eight more publishers so we can round out at 26 publishers. Um, and we're going to be working with all three cohorts, cohort one, cohort two, and cohort three, until December of 2024. Um, so local black-owned news organizations, black-owned and operated, 
will be, um, you know, they will be able to apply. And we're hoping to release this application probably sometime next week. Okay. And, John, I, I, I know that's no small task or no small feat, but you guys are <laughs> trying to do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not. It's not. You know, because we, we work with 20, once we get to 26 publishers, we do have, we have, we have staff, you know, Robert Walker Smith, he's our digital revenue director. He really oversees um, all the, he, he leads the charge in helping the publishers transform how they think and approach generating an increase in digital revenue. You know, I call him the money man. Um, we also have April Palali, who is our technology director. You know, I refer to her as our tech guru. So she's advising all of our publishers on the tech tools, the platforms, and resources they should be exploring as, you know, they embark on their digital journey, digital transformation journey. And I kind of oversee all the logistics, all the scheduling, all the applications, our newsletter, every, all, all the, the other parts um, of the Bloom Lab. So, yeah, it's three of us. You know, we are, we're a small and mighty team. It's a lot of work because we just got back from Dallas. Well, we went down to Dallas. We did a, uh, a three-day site visit where we worked with the Dallas Weekly. They had a Welcome the CEO event. Um, their new CEO, Jessica Washington, they had some advertisers and potential advertising customers come in. So there was a welcoming CEO event. We worked with the Dallas Examiner. So when we go into market and we're able to sit down and get in front of folks that in front of folks and you know the folks that work in their organization, that's always a great time to see people in person. We love Zoom. We love the technology and being able to do things virtually. But again, being able to get in front of people and get into your organization, into your city, into your community is always when we, we do our best work. Right. And, John, let's talk a little bit about the state of affairs as it relates to the newspapers in general that you guys have been working with. You know, what are some of their pain points and what do you see as uh, a bright point for black-owned media outlets as we look towards the future? Yeah, well, let me start with the, with the bright points. You know, when it comes to the black press, again, a lot of these publications, including, including yours, right, they have been mm -hmm. around – for decades, some for centuries, right? The Afro News, I think, they're in Baltimore area. That's 125 years, right? So these organizations and these publications are trusted entities in their community, and the African American community knows that they can come to these, you know, to these entities to get real trusted information, not misinformation that you get so much in the press now. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's news for us and by us. So that's always going to be there, and that, that's a big bright spot. And a lot of the black uh, local news organizations understand that they have to do this digital transformation. You know, as you know, a lot of our publications are still making the majority of their revenue from print. So it's, as we know, the industry is changing, and there's a shift. doesn't mean that we're abandoning print. doesn't mean that print um, is going to die, but it is changing. And we do have to do what we call transformation where we're still working on the print product because we know a lot of black-owned publications are still making money in that area. But we do have to understand where the industry is going, is going and there's a transformation to digital, and you have to make sure that your infrastructure on the digital side is strong. Um, when it comes to the main point, a lot of times it's just it's capacity. You know, we have a lot of organizations that have folks that are doing us wearing a lot of hats. You know, yeah. so it's really trying yeah. to increase the revenue. So we John, I don't know folks, if you, you know, I don't know if you can hear me or not. You, your signal just got a little you, yeah. choppy. Okay, it's better now. I can hear you. Your signal yeah. just got a little yeah. choppy, and now it cleared up. I apologize so for that. 
Yeah, okay. yeah it, 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 it's really about capacity when it comes to pain points because we have a lot of folks that um, are wearing a lot of hats in these organizations. So increasing revenue, um, whether that's on the digital side or the print side, can always help when it comes to hiring more folks, bringing on reporters that can focus on specific topics on a beat, bringing on people that can focus specifically on social media and external communication. So, you know, that's really the pain point. You know, we have some organizations that have 40 to 50 employees, some organizations that are working with five to seven employees. So it's, it's just really about capacity. Right. And, and John, you know, you kind of delve into this a little bit, but let's talk a little bit more about the business side of, of newspaper business, because um, that is really one of the focus points of the Bloom Lab. Because, and many people don't realize, don't, or really don't, they don't look at media as a business uh, that has to be managed and run as they just figure that the media outlets will be around forever because historically they have been. And from that standpoint, the Blue Blend was really focused uh, heavily in two areas. You kind of talked about this uh, technology and le- and revenue. Uh, let's really kind of delve into the revenue side first uh, because that is the lifeline of any business. And there is a need, um, as you just kind of started outlining, to kind of rethink and diversify how newspapers generate their revenue, uh, especially from a perspective of sustainability moving forward. Absolutely. And, and that's when we bring in Robert Walker Smith, our, our digital revenue director, you know, because he offers a lot, lots of training for the sales staff, for the, for the digital sales folks at the organizations that we work with. Right. We have a we have a, a, uh, a sales training coming up in April. How do I close more sales and make more money? Right. Where Robert will be specifically working with folks on the digital ad sales teams, you know, just understanding you know, how to prioritize customer relationships, opening up dialogue, right? Um, There are tons, you know, even utilizing LinkedIn, a tool that not everybody is utilizing uh, to the the most effective, um, you know, means, right? So he has a training coming up called Tips to Effectively Maximize LinkedIn for Sales, right? So it's even just training for staff members how to utilize LinkedIn as a form of marketing, learning, recruiting, developing sales leads, posting content, et cetera, right? So there's all kind of things that we're doing on the sales side because let's keep it real, Chris. If we're not, if, if it don't make money, it don't make sense, right? So if we're not bringing in money, we can't increase capacity. When you talk about um, sustainability, you have to make the money on the sales side. And we have a lot of folks who have sold print for years and have done a phenomenal job but maybe not have the resources or the tools to understand how to make that transformation into selling on the digital side. So we're doing a lot of trainings on that. We're making sure from a technology standpoint that we're finding the tools and the resources to help our organizations advance their businesses from a technology standpoint too. What tools do you use outside of LinkedIn? And, you know, what tools do you use to set, to, uh, set calendars? And how do you, you know, really monetize your social media uh, audience? So, there's tons of things that we're doing in the lab, and we're excited about all the progress that we've made so far. Right. And, John, you kind of led me into my next question. I was going to ask you, you know, what about technology and the technology stacks um, that are needed not only uh, to have and produce a 21st century newsroom, but also a 21st century business model for uh, newspapers as well? And like I said, you know, that technology and that tech stack is just so important. Um, and it's nothing that people can really just, um, point to one thing and say, I need to do X, I need to do this, and, and X, Y, and Z, <laughs> right? It's, it's, a, it's a whole thing that has to be like thought out and planned in order for it all to work together. And even when you have it like that, it's not like it's something that's 
already put together and seamless. No, no, it's not like you can just go and pull something off the shelf, right? I mean, you're taking a lot of the different technology tools and kind of customizing them to create your tech stack. You know, so we when we we usually we lean on our technology director April Palali to really vet all the great technology tools that are across the industry. And again, Chris, you know this, these technology tools, they're good for three to five years, then something else comes out, right? So we're mm-hmm. constantly having her to vet what works from a social media standpoint, whether that's user, utilizing social news that uh, some publishers have been transferring over to news pack. Um, you know, it, 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 whether it's SEO, search engine optimization, and figuring out how to best do that, reader revenue, we're touching on that, right? So there are a lot of different tools and technologies. Um, I think CitySpark is another one, which mm-hmm. is a calendar, um, a calendar tool that you can that you can use to that you can monetize to make money in your organization. There's so many tools and resources that uh, April has been vetting and introducing to the publishers. But on our end, we just introduce these tools. The publishers have to make their decision because it's you, it's your business on which tools you want to you want to use um but we're doing our best to just you know peruse the industry and find the the best tools that will help advance your business um and also increase operational efficiency because you got to make more money but you got to make more money um and use less time to make that money um when it comes to capacity right well you got less time less resources a lot of <laughs> less Less people these days. Everything's getting streamlined down, but you really do have to be efficient. Uh, Absolutely. Now, you've been visiting many of the black publications across the country that are part of the Bloom Lab, and I know you you mentioned earlier that you just got back from Dallas. You know, what has impressed you the most about the publications that you visited so far? Man, I I would say we've been to a lot, man. We we've been to New York. Uh, Amsterdam News, we've been to the Baltimore, we've been to the Afro, we've been to the Baltimore Times, Houston Defender. Man, we just came back from Dallas. We were at the Dallas Weekly and the Dallas Examiner. I would say the content, the product, and what our publishers are able to produce, and when I say that from a content standpoint, from an event standpoint, with the capacity level that they have. We, we have publishers that are doing so many great things with only a few folks. You know, it, it's amazing how trusted they are in the community when you go to an organization and they have less than 10 employees and they are just producing weekly content, producing video, producing events. Uh, we just had a well-attended event for the Dallas Weekly um, that I mentioned earlier, the Meet the CEO event. I mean, Dallas Weekly doesn't have a lot of employees, but, man, a great crowd to come out and, and, and really talk about, you know, how the Dallas Weekly has really, um, you know, uh, had an effect on the community over the years. So I would just say we are doing so much with so little. And if you improve the resources, the tools, the technology, um, philanthropic dollars that are coming in, the sky's the limit for the black press. Right. And you just made a good point because I know – there are a lot of people who look at these publications across the country. And, it, and you know, we're into a com- very competitive space. Uh, and as you're mm-hmm. trying to get into philanthropic funding and things of that nature, you know, a lot of people are looking at um, investing money uh, in organizations that they think that they can help them build capacity. And unfortunately, 
when they look at a lot of these newspapers, they think that they don't necessarily need resources to build additional capacity and don't I mean from the outside looking in a lot of these organizations look like they might have 50 to 100 uh, employees when like you said they've got you know five ten you know maybe less than 15 employees and a lot of times uh, people look at them a different way and don't necessarily uh, invest those resources into them because they feel that they can invest uh, resources into a startup because a startup probably has more um, uh, of a of a runway per se, or or you know yeah. m- more of a void to fill, as opposed to investing in a publication that's been around. But if they had some additional uh, resources, help them build further capacity. Just imagine some of the things that you talked about that they're doing now. If they had the resources, yeah. to even have more people uh, and and more things in place to help them pull even bigger and greater things off. I think it's a testament to the legacy publishers, right? It's a testament to the product that they're able to produce, right? Because think about it. If you're a legacy publisher and you've been doing this 50, 60 years and your paper's been coming out weekly, on time, you go to the website, polished products, people see that and just assume it's easy and just assume you don't need help because, man, you've been around for so long, it's almost like they start to take the legacy publications for granted. Like they're just Mm going to be around. Like it's it's just seamless. That's because they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. They don't know the capacity issues. They don't know that folks, you know, stand up till 3, 4 in the morning every week to get a product out. They just don't know. So I think we, we need to have this conversation. It's almost like a gift and a curse to have such a great product and to be able to produce a great product on schedule for years. It's a gift because it's great for the community and it shows that you're a trusted source. But it's a curse because people start to take it for granted and just think it's just magic. And these publications, we need support. The black-owned press needs support, and they need folks to continue to, uh, you know, invest in them. Or it won't be like this for the next 50 or 60 years. So it's important to get that word out as well. And it's not like begging for money. It's not like begging for dollars. It's just making sure when you invest your, your funding in your community, when you invest in entities, don't forget about the black press that's been a trusted source and has been supporting the black community for decades and some and in some cases for centuries. Right. And John, I guess and this is might be similar to what I asked you earlier, but it's slightly different. You know, you know, have you been pleasantly surprised by anything uh, when it comes to your interaction with the publications, their publishers and or their staff? I know that you don't come from a a, a, a black press background. You have some right. uh, things in the media, but more in, in lines with just business. But, um, you know, mm-hmm. coming into mm-hmm. it and then what you've seen and, um, and experienced now, you know, has there been some things that have just really pleasantly surprised that you just hadn't thought about before you got involved with the Bloom Lab? Yeah, I, I, I think I've been pleasantly surprised at the ability for Black-owned news publications to put together high um, – I want to to say high class, but I want to say um, well-attended, top-notch events. You know, when I think of the black press, I think I I always thought of, you know, whatever was coming out on print, whatever was coming out online, right? I knew Mm -hmm. that those things, you know, were were sometimes seamless. But the, the ability to put together the events, like we went down to Houston 
and we did a smart marketing event, or Houston did a, the Houston Defender did a smart marketing event, and it was so well attended. You know, uh, Sunny Messiah Giles, who's the CEO at the Houston Defender, she had a, a breakfast in the morning for uh, current uh, advertising clients. And I want to say there were over 50 people in the room. And then in the afternoon, it was for potential advertising clients. I want to say it was somewhere between 75 to 100 people. I, I, just to put together an event like that, um, to me, that wasn't something that I was expecting from um, the local black news organizations, you know. And so those are the things that have been, to me, a surprise. I'm like, wow. They, 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 I understand that we're in the community. I just didn't know that we can pull off things like that to bring people together for these events because we're not – the black-owned news organizations aren't event companies. They, you know, that's not something that they specialize in. But I've been seeing some great events uh, when I've been going to, the, to, to some of the entities. Right. And, uh, you know, let's talk a little about positioning right now as well because positioning is very important um, for any business. And as you look at black newspapers – uh, what would you say about their positioning uh, from a historical perspective and also from the perspective of what you see in the future, specifically uh, as it relates to what you're seeing um, through the Bloom Lab right now? Yeah, I, you know, I would say this. For a long time, we've and, – and I would say the black press, we're, we've been known as print publications, right? We've been known as newspapers. But and as you and you know this all too well, right? But all the work that you've been doing with the branded content, you guys having a radio, uh, having a few radio stations as well. Black news organizations—they're no longer just newspapers. We have to position ourselves as media organizations, right? It's not, the print product's going to be there, right? You have the online product, but video, events, right? All of these things have to be monetized. And we have to diversify the revenue stream um, if, if we're going to continue to, to stay afloat and keep up with the Joneses. There's no real mainstream news entity anymore that's just about the newspaper. That's just about the content. It's about the video, not just about the print product. It's about the video content. It's about the events. It's about branded content, right? It's about, um, you know, philanthropic dollars. It's, it's about all of these things. So we have to continue to diversify the, the revenue streams and really become media companies as opposed to just a newspaper because that no longer is enough. Right. And, John, before I let you go, last question, and I'm just going to throw out the, 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 the topic, right, uh, and kind of let mm-hmm. you roll with it. Uh, and that would be uh, inno- uh, innovation and resilience. What would you say about innovation and resilience specifically as it relates to uh, black newspapers, especially the ones that you've been dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Well, innovation is on the forefront, right? And when, when I think innovation, I always think about technology first, right? Because that's the, one of the goals of this lab is really that digital transformation, right? So from a black news perspective, we have to continue to have innovative technology tools, our buildings, have to look have to be innovative we have to continue to 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 recruit innovative um talent right from the, the whether that's coming out of hbcus or coming out coming out of our community innovation is at the forefront of um where we have to be 
as a black press to continue to compete um, as we move forward. The resilience, it's already there, right? There, 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 there's so many you know, organizations such as your own um, that are second, third generation publications, right? The resilience is there. All I can say to that is we have to keep on keeping on. So many publications that have been passed down from grandfathers, great-grandfathers that have been in communities for 100 years, for 50 years, we have to understand that, that that's who we are. We are resilient people, and we have to continue to push forward. But it starts with the innovation. It starts with the technology tools. Um, it, starts with us, it starts with us continuing to be connected with our community. Um, but I think, I think we're game for it. And I think, you know, I think, I think programs like the Bloom Lab, um, the Knight Foundation who invests in black owned organizations, black-owned news organizations have to continue. We need more Knight Foundations out there. We need more Bloom Labs. And we need more young black talent that wants to stay home and work for the black press. We know the carrot is always dangled out there, and people want to go and work for sometimes mainstream publications and organizations. But sometimes I think we have to really think, our young folks, right, have to really think, do I want to go and work for the mainstream or do I want to give back to the community? Do I want to invest in my people? We have to continue to try to make sure we can convince them um, that the black press is a viable place to have a career as well. Right. And, John, I lied. I apologize. I, that was supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. It's all good, Chris. All right, one more. And, and, and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this. Um, yes, two things. absolutely. First of all, it's, you know, results. We want to talk about the results of the Bloom Lab. And the Bloom Lab has already seen results um, to date with uh, just the efforts of Cohort 1, which was the first mm-hmm. 10 publications. Um, so uh, can you kind of talk about some of the, the results or progress uh, that you've seen so far? And also, I think I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about how local communities can best support the efforts of the black press. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, for our cohort one, you know, we, we were working with cohort. We started again in April of, I think it was April or May of, I think it was April of 2022. Um, and we, we ran the numbers, you know, just over a year from a digital revenue perspective. And this is across the 10 publishers, right, that were the, in the original cohort one. We saw a 133% increase in digital revenue. And that equated to $1.5 million across the 10 publishers. So for this Bloom Lab, when, it, when we talk about in, increasing digital revenue, because our goal is to try to get most of our publications to around 20% when it comes to their digital revenue. Uh, we want about 20% of their, digital re- of, their, of their revenue to be coming from digital revenue, right? We don't have any publications there right now, but that is the goal. So to see a 133% increase across the 10 is phenomenal, right? That is phenomenal. Um, and in total revenue, we've had a 21% increase. And, in, again, this is in less than a year. So that's $3.3 million. So that's philanthropic dollars. That's print. There was an increase in print. And that's digital revenue in there as well, right? So we are very excited about these gains, and we hope to – to duplicate these gains with cohort two once we run the numbers on them. And again, Chris, as we talked about, we're going to be bringing in cohort three. Um, so I think cohort one, this is a good starting point. This is, these are numbers that we can celebrate and also 
relay to cohort two and cohort three to keep them um, motivated and to see that this is tangible evidence that what we're doing in the Bloom Lab um, is continuing to work. All right. Uh, last part, how can local communities best support the efforts of the black press? Well, well first, first and foremost, it's whether it's a donation, whether it's subscribing, um, whether it's showing up for events, whether it's sharing uh, content, whether it's all of, all of the above, all of the above. But, again, it always comes down to supporting from a financial standpoint. So donate to the black press, right? Subscribe. Read the black, black press. Share the content with people in your community, right? Go to events that the black press runs, you know, use, utilize the black, try to go to the black press before you go to the mainstream media and just promote, promote the black press, whether it's the Seattle medium, read, read, you know, read the, read black press organizations or black press entities in other parts of the country, right? It's just really about the support. So sign up, readership, events, donate, all of the above, because the black press, we, we have to continue to be the trusted source of news for the black community in, in all the major cities across the country. All right. Well, John, I want to thank you for joining us on today's show. I know we went a little longer than uh, in, in expected and anticipated, but I do appreciate your time and, I, and this dialogue this morning.